Hey guys, Warren Sharp here, and I want to drop an outstanding deal right into your lap, and that is 30% off anything at the website with the coupon code GET30, G-E-T-3-0. And it's a huge week for us this week because this is the first week heading into week three that we release NFL computer totals. These things went 23 and 5 last year, 61.8% lifetime over 15 years of doing this. This is what we started the website for. Rich's fantasy analysis and worksheet is absolutely unparalleled. And you get that too if you purchase the all access package. I highly recommend you run over to the website right now. Take advantage of this 30% off deal because it will end Sunday. Use the coupon code GET30, 30% off anything. Lots of betting picks already released right now, including multiple computer totals and we're going to be dropping these things every week from here on out the rest of the season what is going on sharp football fantasy family it is your resident swami of konami rich rebar we've got two weeks in the book hopefully you're sitting at two and oh if you're not if you are on two uh we'll get you back on the snide here off the snide that is uh and help you get off the snide i brought in a guest that i had on last year i thought it was one of the best shows we did it's someone i i love following on twitter uh i love having conversations with him so i always want to use my opportunity to not only elevate him but to one just have a conversation with people I like talking to so that guest is jacob sanderson jacob what's going on man i'm doing good this is always fun <laughs> this is one of my i mean i agree i Absolutely had a blast doing the show with you last year. One of my favorite guest spots that, that I've ever done. It was super fun. And uh, yeah, looked over the show sheet. It's exciting. I think we did it at a similar time last year. I think it was after like week three or week four and this year after week two. So it's one of my favorite times to talk uh, fantasy. I just said this on the show. We were literally just <laughs> on together. But like, I think the most fun part of fantasy this time of year is trying to figure out like who the buy highs are, right? You know, everybody talks yep. about sell high buy low who are the guys that we think are going to continue at this pace the market hasn't caught up on we can get into you know who are the guys that maybe are going downhill but people still think they can buy low like i think using that cognitive dissonance where people aren't quite ready to abandon their adp priors they want to feel like they're getting Mm -hmm. a deal right it's a lot easier to be like man i like just traded a round four pick for a round one pick like i got a sick deal that's a lot better than like admitting defeat of like oh my round one pick was terrible i just traded him for a round four pick so i think when people are still tied to those priors being able to take advantage of that it's a really fun time and and that's that's really the big focus i think this time in in redraft especially yeah and that's why i like to have you on like these times of the year because you obviously if if you follow jacob like he has a lot of these types of threads in his timeline and you know you're a big dynasty player uh, that you kind of bring that approach into, you know, your best ball redraft stuff and your DFS, you know, content. Uh, so as someone that I'm in the same boat, I play everything. Uh, I always try to ask people too that do a little bit of everything and don't have just kind of like one lane. Uh, how do you find the the balance? And you're in college right now too. So how do you find the balance for all this, all this right now? Yeah, I think I got this question the other day in the, in the discord. I, I, I think for the most part, it is like legitimately helpful. Like I, I think it was like on ship chasing where they were making fun of this comment. They got really like these guys draft teams, like it's a $10 dynasty startup. And they were like, yeah, that's literally exactly how we want to draft teams. And I kind of feel similarly. Like, I think that you, you get a little bit more rooted when you're playing dynasty where you are, I think have a fuller understanding of a player's profile Mm -hmm. in terms of what their range of outcomes is, what their ceiling case is, what their talent level is and what kind of contingent value they have dependent on things around them being better or worse. 
And I think that that really helps inform you and break ties when you get into redraft and so much of it becomes about projection. And I think what people get really tied into um, with redraft is it's like projection versus ADP, right? Will this player outperform or they're drafted at, at the median outcome? And I think what playing both Dynasty and DFS kind of teach you is like in Dynasty, I think you get a fuller understanding of the talent profile that you're drafting, not just the projection, not just the most likely outcome, but that range of outcomes based on who that player actually is. And then playing DFS, I think more than any other uh, game type in fantasy football, it's like gives you the understanding of actually trying to solve for X, solve for the ceiling, trying to figure out like the outcome that we should be optimizing for isn't you know better or worse than adp it's really trying to get that big payoff and i think that you know how you do that in a dfs slate as opposed to redraft slate is obviously super super different but like i wrote a series last year um comparing and contrasting strategy between dfs tournaments and best ball tournaments and i think that the same kind of underlying principles in terms of how you think i think playing dfs has to teach you kind of how to think that really helps you in any sort of other format where trying to think about What's the game that we're playing? What are we trying to solve for? What are the types of archetypes of players that we want to be building into our lineups? And, and honestly, it, it works um, reciprocally in the sense that like when we get these super chalk weeks in DFS, like how do we try to figure out which is the chalk that we're okay betting on, which is the stuff that we aren't? I don't think that you know it's all created equal. And there's certain talent profiles and player profiles that I'm just less likely to eat, like that I'm always going to be fading just because of kind of who they are. Um, and others where like if they're high owned, it's more, okay, I'm going to build some of them into my lineups this week. And I just need to figure out how to get around it. Yeah. You know, I, that's one of the things I've always tried to harp on. We, it would be nice if, you know, that was still the stuff that like sold and that's what consumers wanted, but you know, the, the way to play the game, player archetypes, you know, understanding how those things fit the puzzle of playing fantasy football. I've, I'm always going to find more fascinating and, and more intriguing and then lead to, and those things are going to lead you know, to more success, uh, I believe. But instead of, you know, player rankings and then projections, you know, those are the things that people want, though. If you want those linear lists, they want to just see your projections. Uh, so I have to do that stuff, too. But I always do tell people in all the chats, and if you're someone that comes to the Sharp Football chats, like, these are the things we talk about every Sunday morning. You know, we don't just talk about player rankings and we're talking about start sits. We're talking about actually, you know, like what we're play expecting from, like, a player's, you know, actual role in the offense is archetype instead of just saying, like, yeah you know, we're going to get, you know, Alan Robinson jam in here. Uh, those are not, those are not the things that, that we, we, that I believe offer a lot of value. I mean, there's a lot of people doing that type of stuff and if, you know, yeah. uh, not to shove anyone to the side, I want you to, you guys to come and consume all the content, you know, here and, and the guests I have, but that's the stuff I find fascinating. That's why I want to have you on the show. Uh, so let's kick some things off. We're going to cover because you have a background in redraft dynasty and DFS. We're going to incorporate all that into this show. Uh, let's kick some things off with more of like a redraft stance. You know, Do we it. talk about this being a really fun time of the year, uh, you know, for, you know, players like us and keeping like a lens looking forward. And at this time last year, uh, you know, we had guys like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Jonathan Taylor, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Andrews, like actual league winners who had done nothing to this point <laughs> yeah. in, in two weeks into the last season. It's easy for people to get caught up and say, oh, man, I have John why isn't Jonathan Taylor going nuts for me? Uh, he had a good week one. He's a bad example. Of, uh, you know, I'm sure there are a couple better examples that I missed off the top of my head. But who are some players that have, have struggled the opening two weeks that you would tell people, it's like, you know, don't be worried here, big picture? Yeah, I mean – the like obvious, obvious, obvious one is Kyle Pitts. That's why I don't even want to like spend that much time on it. But I, I just think he's 
almost in a similar way to Mark Andrews last year, like at that position, you know, it really is a little bit more binary than a lot of other positions in the sense that like you're either a difference maker or you aren't mm-hmm. a difference maker. Right. Because, you know, Evan Ingram, Tyler Higby, these guys are just free Gerald Everett, et cetera. So like, if you're, you're kind of among the group or you're ahead of the group. And obviously, I mean, right now Kyle Pitts isn't even among the group, but uh, I think it, that's the one where I'm the most willing to just sort of bet on the talent profile kind of look past the first two weeks, especially really look past week two. His usage was fine in week one. Like week one was very much like a, his usage is fine. He just didn't get in the box score type of week. Week two is the first week where he just wasn't used. I think this week will be pretty telling. They play Seattle. Seattle just historically gets destroyed by tight ends because they want to sit in base defense all the time. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting week for him, especially with all the questions coming up about his usage, how much they want to scheme for him, how much they want to get him involved. So that'll be a fun bounce back spot. Maybe a guy who's maybe not quite as obvious would be, I'd be really interested in uh, buying Deontay Johnson. I'm always interested in buying Deontay (laughs) Johnson, but he's been cranking out target shares without big Ben, you know, like, like uh, that was sort of the concern in the off season. And then what I would say is like Mitch Trubisky has been horrifically, woeful so far through two weeks and i don't think kenny pickett's actually that good like i wasn't a big fan of him as a prospect but the specter of the unknown is is something right so if there's a chance like it can only get better from a quarterback perspective either trubisky starts playing a little bit better or they go to pickett maybe he's a little bit better like i think at worst you're buying a player who is going to be a high-end wide receiver two all year just based on targets and volume alone and eventually he's going to find the end zone and then at best, like, what if Pickett is secretly good and I'm wrong? And then you kind of get, like, Keenan Allen, you know, in in uh, the Herbert's rookie year where I certainly don't think any big it's going to be Herbert. But, like, he was a guy where everybody's like, yeah, he's really good. He gets a lot of targets, but everybody's really, really down on him um, because of the quarterback situation. Turns out the quarterback situation was actually good, and then he's just, like, crushing. He's in your cash lineup every week. So I, I could see Deontay as someone I think would be interesting to go out and target. Yeah, I like the, those calls, too. I mean, Deontay Johnson is – He's put on a clinic these first two weeks of like ridiculous catches due to quarterback play. You and I were just on a show and we were talking about Jahan Dotson's college career. And it was like that, like those are the first two weeks have been a lot like that for Deontay Johnson. Like he's out here making one handed catches on the sideline. He had a ridiculous catch that didn't count. Uh, he just had a toe out last week. Uh, just everything feels like such a the degree of difficulty catching passes for Mr. Trubisky is ramped up to an 11 right now. And at least if Pickett can just get some more favorable looks, we got there. But uh, yeah, the Pittsburgh offense uh, has looked really rough. We're not going to definitely talk about them. Uh, I remember all. growing up watching Pat Steelers games and like, <laughs> I, I like saw them on the field. I was like, Oh, a little, look, a little bit of nostalgia hit me um, of all the, the Brady Ben Roethlisberger oh, games. Yeah. And then I watched like a minute of it and I was like, Oh my God. What, what am I, I think that was the first that was the first Patriots Steelers game to not have either Ben or Brady involved uh before since even Mike Tomlin was there like wow. Mike Tomlin was with Pittsburgh it's been so long uh it's those those two guys are such a staple of that matchup and uh they got the the Mac Jones Mitchell Trubisky showdown last week and it was it fulfilled everyone's wildest dreams uh let's flip this around a little bit Two weeks in, obviously you're not going to eject on your priors, but is there anyone coming into the season that uh, the start of their season has kind of given you uh, some pause on the start of their the, in, the first two weeks? In the non-Cadarius Tony category, I assume. <laughs> yeah, uh, but if you want to use him, that's fine too. If yeah, well, he's know. one of them. I mean, obviously, like I think the most important thing for him would be to you know play. 
<laughs> I'd love to see that. No, I think I think one one thing that I'm concerned about is the Panthers. Uh, both guys. I mean, I I was like really heavy on Christian McCaffrey, like where I was drafting a 101 basically since drafts opened, and there was a period of time where you could get a ton of exposure to CMC just by clicking him every time that you could because he was often going 102, 103, 104. That tapers off by the end of the season, uh, and then uh, you know DJ Moore. I was sort of taking um, I'm overweight on, but not like egregiously. So I thought that Baker would at least provide base competence. And I do think that he's eventually going to be better than he's been. And he's probably a better quarterback than one Reed Sam and, and Teddy Bridgewater, but he doesn't understand the assignment. Like at least these other guys, like they would just, you know, matriculate the ball downfield. They'd get it to McCaffrey. They get it to DJ Moore. I mean, Sam Darnold couldn't get it to DJ Moore, but he would try to. He would throw it in his general vicinity such that it would register as a target. Uh, and Baker Mayfield, through two weeks, 71% of his dropbacks have resulted in a targeted throw. So that's like three in every 10, either a sack, a throwaway, or a scramble. He's not very athletic. I don't understand why he feels the need to scramble as much as he does. It's not an effective way to play football. And it's not even scrambling like to run. It's just a lot of it is scrambling to el- elongate the play, He's, he's trying to throw to other guys. Like he's not playing within the structure of the offense. That's a concern. Christian McCaffrey last year, obviously ludicrously small sample, but 40% targets per route. I mean, that was never going to repeat. It's crazy. He's at 17% through two weeks. I don't think that's necessarily because his skill level is atrophied. I mean, I, I was watching a lot of that game and there was plenty of times where he would pop open and Baker would just defer that to either try and elongate the play or to try and throw somewhere down the field. Um, and, and he's not really taking what's available to him. And when you have, you know, Christian McCaffrey, it's, that's based off of him being a, a, a read within the offense. People are trying to get the ball to DJ Moore, similar as, as a yards after catch type player. We want to get the ball to early in the progressions. And if Baker's going to be consistently trying to hit home runs to guys that aren't them, you know, that's going to limit them. So I think that it's, they're not dead by any means, but the ceiling case is, is I don't think going to work. And even if Baker starts playing better, I'm just not sure he's going to be playing well in a way that actually benefits the fantasy options. Yeah, that's who Baker is, man. Baker is a hero. He is a cowboy. Uh, he is definitely going to believe that he is everything he was drafted as. And, you know, his scrambling has always been a weird thing. It goes back to when he tried to run away from that DUI and uh, got <laughs> and got absolutely clocked by that police officer. I mean, it's, it's a Baker. You can't run away from anybody. Uh, you got to you gotta chill out. Um, yeah, but I definitely have a little bit of pause for the Panthers because, like you said, he's just he, – I love the phrase, he doesn't understand the assignment. Listen, get the ball to these guys. That's all you need to do. That's what they brought you in for. <laughs> Um, but, uh, the, one of the things that we've been in a hot start and it ties into this, the, the Christian McCaffrey take that you just had is that, you know, wide receiver ones have absolute, absolutely been wrecking like round one wide uh, running backs right now to start the season. Um, do you believe that the one there's a bounce back for the running backs or do you believe that this is just, um, you know, an oscillation or shift of you to how like fantasy football should, is going to be played, you know, moving forward. I think it's kind of both. Like, you know, I, I tend to not draft a lot of running backs early. I'm trying to rebrand uh, in the process in my, in my <laughs> column where like, there's now so many different names for zero RB and all of its second cousins um, that like the way I'm kind of approaching them as a group is running back by committee, essentially. So you have your hero RB, your zero RB, your modified zero RB, yep. um, you know, your, your zero RB twice removed. Um, so I think of it as running back by committee, right? It's just like it's the, uh, embracing that you don't know who your running back is going to be 
in week 14 when you start in week one that really, I think, ties these types of strategies together. Um, and I think a lot of it, that title plays into why I think it's becoming more effective, which is that, you know, more and more teams are changing the way they operate their backfields. And there's such an overflow of talent at the running back position relative to the teams that are willing to emphasize the running back position. And I think a lot of teams that even do have really strong running backs are looking at it sort of from a comparative advantage lens. I don't think that the Colts actually think that Naheem Hines is better in the two minute drill than Jonathan Taylor, for example. But what I think they think is Jonathan Taylor is really important to our team and Naheem Hines is not that much worse in certain situations than Jonathan Taylor, such that it's better to use him in the situations in which he has the biggest comparative advantage um, to Jonathan Taylor. And then we can preserve him somewhat. There's just not that many explosive bell cows. Like the only true bell cows right now, I think that we have are like uh, Barkley, McCaffrey, Fournette, Cook, Najee Harris, and kind of Jonathan Taylor, like, he is. It's just it aggravating. He never gets two miniature snaps. And I usually say you have to get that to actually be like a prototype bell cow, but I'm fine if you include him. Taylor, obviously explosive. McCaffrey, I mean, in his credit, he has like the explosive, but like Fournette is more of an accumulator, right? And and he, it's been fine because the offense at, was such a high pass rate offense, high throw rate to running backs offense, high pace offense that he could accumulate to a really high ceiling. Not entirely sure if that's going to continue to be the case. Like he's been kind of like a two down grinder for a lot of the season which that's not really going to produce a lot i mean Najee Harris, i think just isn't good and his offense certainly isn't good regardless of, of his level of talent so he's not going to be an explosive player and when you sort of look at this it's like a lot of these players that have these really incredible roles you can easily get by without them when you look at the opportunity cost of these elite wide receivers and these high throw rate offenses that are creating these explosive plays you just rather have them and piece it together with running backs later and then you know, a lot of these other running backs that are explosive that have the talent profiles just aren't being used so much that you're like terrified to face them, right? Like, I don't think you can replicate a lot of these players with streaming running backs. You know, that's more the dead zone guys that you can. Mm -hmm. But are how how are you handling the opportunity cost, right? Because 26 um, wide receivers, right, through two weeks up over 20 points per game. Um, I believe it was 15 wide receivers up over 25 points per, or sorry, not points per game. 20, 26 wide receivers have had over 20 points in a week through two weeks is what I meant to say. 15 over 25 versus just 15 and five uh, running backs. I might have that off by, by a smidge. I tweeted out all the info earlier. You're seeing it more. And if the opportunity cost is that high in the early rounds where it's these early wide receivers, and it has been that are producing a lot of these spike weeks, then even if you're losing at the running back position, you can get by. So I think that the way that things have been going strategically um, and especially with the way that things have moved in the NFL, it's benefiting these wide receiver heavy starts. And I think especially more people drafting more wide receivers early in a strange way, almost makes it even more crucial to do so yourself because the period in time in the draft in which you can draft high ceiling wide receivers is really reducing. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing in these FFPC drafts, especially maybe not in your home league. Right. But if you're drafting on FFPC, like by the time you get to round six, round seven, it's like outside of the rookies, there's really not a lot of upside left at the wide receiver position. So, you know, there's who are you draft and you can't draft a bunch of rookies really if you're drafting a lot of running backs early, because then who the hell are you going to start in the first couple of weeks? Right. Turns out you get to start a Garrett Wilson and Drake Lennon week two. You're laughing, but you don't know that necessarily when you're on the clock in the draft. So I think it puts a lot of pressure on running back early drafters to be able to create the necessary upside. And we all know like outside of rookies, 
late draft wide receivers, sure, they'll have spike weeks, but they aren't predictable. And they just don't have the talent profiles usually to be able to actually ascend to being every week starting volume earners um, because, you know, volume is so much more dependent on ability at the wide receiver position than it is at the running back position. So sorry for the rant, but no, uh, no, it's a little fun. all over the place, but I think we, we landed the plane somewhat at the end. <laughs> no, that's exactly what, and that's a lot of stuff I talked about. I mean, I'm someone that was more of a, I guess if you were doing a moniker, more of like a, an anchor RB drafter. Um, there's a yeah. clear cutoff, like where, I, I want a specific archetype of running back to be my RB1, and typically you can only get those guys early in drafts. Uh, and then there's like a clear wall, like when like once we got to like before Leonard Fournette was off the board, like I'm I'm just not taking any of those guys afterwards. Um, that's why I thought my favorite draft spot this year was when you got to pick draft spots was the back third because one of the things that I also was stressing that the actual top tier of wide receivers was it felt thinner this year than other years past. I agree. Now, and, 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 and a lot of guys have hit, like, you know, guys like Jalen Waddle have had, like, you know, huge games. But I really thought that there was, like, five to six guys, whether people included Tyree Kill, uh, that was, like, a firewall. And then you were getting to, like, C.D. Lamb, Debo Samuel, Mike Evans, and I was like, ooh, I don't know if I want any of those guys to be my wide receiver one. So I always tried to get in the back third so I could get either, like, Diggs, Barkley, Adams, Barkley, like something like that is what I was absolutely just, like, trying to land. Um yeah. Because we've seen like that second tier of wide receivers even afterwards like hasn't been like that strong either. But there's a lot of people that also went anchor running back like I did, and their anchor running back ain't do isn't doing any anchoring. Uh, right. so far, oh, it's anchoring. Doing... It's anchoring <laughs> your team. It's anchoring your team to twelfth place. Yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah Derek it is. Henry has been quite the anchor. It is, <laughs> it is dragging you into the abyss. There is no relief for oxygen. So there are a lot of these teams that have these first round running backs or say we'll call them just top 12 running backs or RB ones they drafted uh, that have not performed these first two weeks. So with that, I kind of want to do a heat check with you and give me kind of the Jacob, you know, confidence index. Uh, You can do like, you can do whatever you want. You can turn it into your own like rating system. You can do one to 10. You can do, you can make this rapid fire add any commentary. You have touched on a couple of these guys, but I want to talk to you. So these people, the gamers that have these, Types of players, I want to know if they're really feeling any sweat or not. We're skipping JT. You already touched on JT's fun. Yeah, and, and yeah. CMC, you already touched upon. So let's immediately start with the guy that was the RB3 in ADP, and that is Austin Eckler. Well, you know, I, I kind of started with this vehicular analogy where I talk about Henry is like a sinking ship. So I'm going to do each of these heat checks uh, in terms of some sort of motorized transportation device. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm coming up with on the fly here. I like it. So I think um, I think Austin Eckler is like a plane that's running a little bit low on on gas, right? So it's like it's probably still going to get to your destination, but like you might face a little bit of turbulence and there's some increased risk. Like I think I think Eckler is fine in the sense that he's going to have a good fantasy season. Like I don't think that there's a risk of like massive bust with Austin Eckler because he's still a good player. Um, you know his value add has always been less dependent on his like rushing ability anyways. Um, and we see the potential like we saw last week where like it was full blown panic on Eckler at halftime. I think he finishes the RB four on the week or the RB five yep. on the week because he like got all of these garbage time dump offs um, on the last couple drives. And he'll always have that, you know, a- as an out because of the type of profile he is. But I don't think that you actually have enough fuel in the plane to get you where you were hoping to go when you drafted him in the first round, because He's losing goal line touches to Sony Michelle, 
You know, I, I thought it was a warning sign in week one when it was the third and one for the game, basically, against the Las Vegas Raiders. And they went with Sony on that carry who converted it. I mean, he had one of the worst goal line attempts I've ever seen in my life in the Chiefs game. <laughs> like, he, like, ran st- – it was like – I don't even know what he was doing. He ran so upright, like that he basically had a straight line to the goal line and just got stood up at like the half inch line and then immediately folded backwards because he like just was like running entirely upright. It was atrocious. But if that's what they're going to continue to do, that's a problem. And he hasn't even been running like a ton of routes. Like his routes in week Mm -hmm. one were really low. They're down below 50%. I know they got up in week two. I think that was really inflated. Like he ran all these routes in the garbage time drives at the end, or I guess not garbage time, but like catch up mode, semi quasi garbage time at the end. If Kansas city like ran out the clock and got another first down, um, like then his route participation looks way worse overall in the game. So I do think that it's alarm bells for Eckler. I think he looks more like a, maybe more like people thought Javante Williams would be kind of early in the season, like a two, three turn type of running back to me where like, he's going to be fine, but I don't think it's enough fuel in the plane. Yeah. You're really just kind of, you know, banking on that offensive attachment too, to kind of like kind of float him there. Uh, I don't think he'll get pulled off every goal on carry, but it's definitely been troubling so far. I mean, he looks yeah. like a very expensive version of Devin Singletary right now in almost a sense, like he's getting more passing game work, but it was like, it was, it, it, it's very kind of sketchy. And he was a guy that like is a profile that like always kind of scares me at the top because it, we've seen it again. Everyone does this for that like type of profile running back. We saw it happen with Chase Edmonds again already two weeks into yeah. the season because you just can't trust what coaching staffs are going to do with guys built like that. Um, and there's really no data to support like those guys get hurt more or they're more inefficient with short yardage carries. But like coaches still are going to always kind of lean on either reducing those guys touches or going with a 225 pound back, even if he sucks on third and one. Like it, it just always yeah. happens like these co- these coaches always, always do it. And we're seeing that again, like Eckler opened the season himself openly saying like, well, we're going to reduce my touches like. Uh, you never want to hear that. Like Christian McCaffrey's been like the one recent guy that's been able to get like through that, like since like Ray Rice days. Uh, and, you know, even now, like is, is still like the last guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll go to the second guy here. And that is a guy you already named. Jeff. Let's do Derrick Henry. Yeah. I mean, Derrick Henry is like a, a battleship um, <laughs> where the other person is looking at your board and you're, you're playing the board game battleship and they can see exactly where it is. And they're just calling out your numbers and you're just waiting for it to sink. It looks bad. I mean, it's going to be better than it was. Like he'll have weeks for sure. Um, but like, even if he has Dehember this year, I don't know that a lot of his managers will be alive in Dehember to be able to reap the rewards. I think the Titans, there's structural concerns with the Titans, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I bet pretty heavily on their under, this year, they're not a good team. They, they lost players. They, losing A.J. Brown is massive for them. We saw what happened to their offense last year when they lost A.J. Brown. They completely sputtered. And Derrick Henry then has to not just be a good running back, but like such an outlier good running back where he can lead a bad team to being a good team, right? Like most running backs, you know, the running backs don't matter ethos. Essentially states like running backs are products of their environment, right? They're not, they're not the one who knocks. But Derrick Henry has been the one who knocks in Tennessee for a while, or at least plausibly, it could be said that he is so. And if he's not consistently breaking off these massive runs that are turning the tide and are winning Tennessee games, like he has to be the product of his own positive game script in that regard, because there isn't enough going around him. And if he's also declining in skill, where 
he's always been a little bit of a feast or famine runner, but if he doesn't have that level of explosiveness anymore, where he's not feasting quite as frequently, then he can't create the environment in which he's going to be able to continue to get carries in the second half. So I'm worried about the Titans for that reason. I'm very worried about Derrick Henry. Um, I mean, if it keeps going as it's been going, then his profile all of a sudden looks like other two down grinders on bad teams. Right. And it's like, that's like the Pierce, the penny, you know, like, uh, it's it's just scary. At best, I guess you could say he's Nick Chubb, but Nick Chubb is like a hyper-efficient elite rusher. Mm-hmm. Derrick Henry so far has not been. So very worried about Henry. He kind of looks like a sinking ship to me. Yeah, and, you know, the, the the offensive structure, like you said, I love how you phrased it that, you know, he's now in a spot where he has to create that game script for himself. So in situations where he doesn't, you're getting double whammied. You know, he's he's not one. His inefficiency now is leading to his own demise, uh, which is trouble. Nick Chubb's really not going to have that much problem with that because the offensive line is great, and then he's still having efficiency. It's when the actual quarterback plays bad, uh, that's when he gets scripted out. But he's definitely really not creating his own negative game script himself. Like, mm-hmm because Henry carries so much of this Tennessee offense and is still tasked to do so at this stage of where they are in the shuffle. Now they lose Taylor Luan. We don't know exactly when he's going to be back. It is definitely looking pretty bleak. Uh, someone else you brought up was uh, Najee Harris, the guy who I was outright trying to get people to avoid, but uh, yes. he still was being drafted. And it turns out that he also still didn't fall far enough. Yeah. I mean, I like wish that I had less of certain guys like, Eckler and Cook and Henry right. and whatever like I but I kind of mix them into my portfolio on occasion um just to have some I actually do have zero percent Najee Harris on the 218 best ball teams I did not select him a single time um and and uh, that feels tremendous I, I mean I think that Henry I think that Najee Harris is a pretty uninspired rusher some people have said it's not actually that he's bad it's the O-line's bad in the near term, that doesn't really make much of a difference, um, which one of those is correct, because either way, it's going to result in his inefficiency. And the Steelers, as bad as they were with Ben Roethlisberger, like they were able to create high value touches for running backs, just in the sense of them getting peppered with targets. And it felt like, you know, they were almost at their best when they were in this trail script and Ben Roethlisberger would kind of go with this, like no huddle offense. He'd be sort of dinking and dunking to everybody and he'd be able to get their fantasy value juice enough. But and some of Harris's best games were games that they lost, right? Like, and, and then he's just kind of like picking up these receptions in garbage time. Now it appears like they're pl- going to play more of a slower game. Mitch Trubisky or Pickett, they're not going to be quite that sort of out of shotgun, dink dunk, you know, fast paced kind of Steelers that they were at, that they were near Ben Roethlisberger's demise. Like, he's looking more and more kind of like David Montgomery of the last two years, right? Where it's like the workload's really great, but. You can't really trust him as more than an RB2 because in this horrible environment, there's going to be some weeks where he's going to find the end zone twice and catch six passes, and that's great and all. But, yeah, I'm really out on Harris. Like, he, if we were redrafting today, where would Harris be? Uh, I Oh, man, I didn't use a, an analogy. But I think, um, <laughs> I think for Harris, like, I don't know. May, maybe, maybe he's like – this is – he. This is like Sully Sullenberger level concern for, for Najee Harris. Like we got it. We got to make an emergency landing. Uh, all right. How about Dalvin Cook? Uh, Dal- Dalvin Cook's, you know, maybe like a helicopter. It's like we're taking the scenic route, right? We're not going to get there as fast as we hoped, but I think we're going to get there eventually. He's going to find the end zone. You know, is, is Dalvin cooked? Perhaps. Um, but is that going to re- result in like a drastic decrease in his fantasy? I would like probably not drastic. You know, I think I would feel pretty confident he's not going to have like the type of legendary upside that we need in a round one pick. 
but I think he could have like a totally fine enough year that if he stays healthy all year and starts scoring touchdowns again, then those teams will be totally live if they hit well in rounds two through six. All right. How about Alvin Kamara? Yeah, it's not going well for, for Alvin. Um, Weird player where I was like really out on Alvin because I thought his rushing ability atrophied massively last year. And then you also add in competition for targets, but then there was a suspension risk and it's like, well, I can't not draft him at the end of the third. Like, so I have like a big bag of Kamara. That's exactly that I really wish I didn't have. Um, so I didn't intend to have it. I wasn't, I wasn't drafting him, but his cost went back up, but I'm stuck with all this third round Kamara that I think he'll probably pay off. So how about this? I think Alvin Kamara is like, you bought, you thought you were getting a deal because you were offered first class um, service for free. You got a free upgrade on your plane, right? You, you're like, oh, I'm drafting this guy in the third. He's not even going to be suspended. Then you're partying up in first class. But it turns out that there's like, you know, a 350-pound guy next to you is taking up your seat room. There's a crying baby in front of you. And, and you're, you're just realizing you're not quite getting what you didn't pay for. I like that. I like that. Uh, <laughs> all right. We'll run through a couple more of these guys real quick too, so we can uh, shift into a couple other things, but how about the uh, Javante Williams right now? Javante. I'm, I feel like bullish about Javante mm-hmm. actually. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is, uh, maybe it's like one of those cheap airlines where, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit of a discount at this point. Cause I think you go trade for Javante Williams, but mm-hmm. you're still going to get there just fine. You know, your, your baggage is at no risk. I think you can probably trade for Javante Williams. I mean, there's that viral clip of like him standing open in the end zone. Yeah. Um, I totally didn't have him in a, in a live DFS lineup <laughs> last week. I wasn't tilted by that play at all. Um, so I think Javante is, is in a great spot to go out and buy right now. His usage has been really fine. I think people sentiment is so down on the Broncos right now that I think people are ignoring that Javante's usage in the passing game, especially if we carry over to week one and just usage in general relative to Melvin Gordon is probably better than the market expected it to be. So I think if, if you believe that the Broncos can get back to what we hope they would be, or even 90% of what we hope they would be, then the Javante portion of that equation is looking, I think, positively. So I feel pretty good about Javante. I had someone ask me about the Broncos this week because I was bullish on the Broncos in general this offseason and it hasn't gotten off to a good start. So people wanted to recheck in with me. And I still am still pretty positive. I mean, outside of a couple plays here or there, I mean, they just, they're one of these teams. I don't want to make excuses either, but, you know, two fumbles on the goal line. You know, Cortland Sutton is a touchdown overturned. There's been a little bit of pressing. Obviously, the narrative is Nathaniel Hackett is is a joke. He may be, but this schedule is still too good. There's too much talent on this team. I would be really, willing to still buy on the Broncos, especially after Sunday nights, if they don't play well against the 49ers, which I kind of outside of Javante Williams aren't like super high on, on many of the Broncos players this Sunday, especially that Jerry Judy. No. Uh, I would, I mean, still rest of the way though. I think these guys are, are guys that I still want to come in and grab and still feel pretty positively about. So two, two of the yeah. running backs still to grab on. Uh, they don't hit you, hit you on uh, one positive, one negative start Travis Etienne right now, third round pick. How's that looking right now? Oh, he's totally stone dead. I, I'm like annoyed by the ETN rise because like I, I was all over him in round five and even round six, uh, really, really early in the off season. And then I kind of got labeled as like the ETN guy. I mean, I drafted him like zero times in round three. Like I, I thought that price mm-hmm. was pretty egregious. I feel about ETN probably similar to like AJ Dillon right now, maybe where it's like, he's a guy that I think is going to have worthwhile value in certain scripts. I like him this week actually a lot. I think Same. he's a, a fun play this week because 
I don't like, I think that the narrative is that his role got a lot worse week one to week two. I think that his role is about the same. They just had game script. that was really favorable to James Robinson in week two. Um, you know, I, th- I like to think there's kind of three styles of usage split and backfields in, in general, you know, one is sort of the situally situationally agnostic usage split. So think like last year, Javante Melvin, where it's like, we just kind of rotate drives drive by drive. They can each play in any given situation. We're not really subbing guys in and out, depending on the play. You know, another is like the clearly like the situation based usage split. Like think Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick, right? It's like one guy plays all the early downs. One guy plays all the third downs. One guy plays the goal line. One guy plays the two minute. And then the other is kind of the like scheme based split where it's like one guy's going to come in for one type of play. The other guy plays other types of plays. And it sort of seems kind of random. But if you look at the play designs, it actually makes a little bit more sense. And I think that's kind of what Jacksonville's doing smartly. Right. Like I, I watched... Not much of the second half. I gave up. But for people who don't know, I'm a Colts fan. So, of course, I watched the early portion of that game. Um, and I really was impressed with how Doug Peterson was handling the backs early. Like, there are runs that James Robinson is just clearly better at than Travis Etienne. Like, he's harder to bring down. He's a more decisive runner. He gets downhill faster. He executes the scheme inside. But, like, I thought James Robinson looked good on the touchdown run where he got to go downhill foot in the ground. There was one run, I think three or four plays earlier on that drive where he kind of ran an outside sweep. I mean, he looked like he was running in mud to me on that play. So I think that the lateral quickness from Robinson is not there. I'm not sure that it's ever been there, but certainly not post Achilles. ETN, I thought they've used him on some like outside sweep plays, on some creative passing plays. The one that Lawrence airmailed and then the slot um, kind of slot go route that he got hit on against Washington were both like really fun unique concepts that were clearly schemed for ETN. So he's getting creative usage that I think is going to lead to high efficiency touches on early downs. And it seems that he's, he's getting the type of usage that would pretend that he's going to be playing in passing situations. So I think they're going to get beat this week by the chargers. And I expect that we're going to see a lot more of ETN in the snap column. And I still think we're going to see a lot of high efficiency early down plays, even if he's only playing 30, 35% of them. Yeah, he's probably a guy that seems like he's going to be one of these, like, you know, better in a best ball contingency value, like, can you, will you ever get it right type guys, you know, in redraft. But one last guy that people are definitely excited about the start, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I'm kind of, I want, I want to get your take on this as, is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Obviously people aren't worried, mm. but you know, how confident are you in him, you know, the rest of the season? Yeah. I mean, his like, it's kind of a weird spot where his usage would state that he's like a clear sell high in a vacuum in the sense mm-hmm. he's getting out snapped by Jarek McKinnon, but he's scoring all these points. Um, but I think that people are so burned by CEH that no one's really buying high enough to make him a sell high. Right. And the, the most important thing is that he looks good. Right. Right. Like most of the issue for the off season, you know, was okay. He's probably going to have at least a good role, maybe a great role, but he's kind of bad. And now it's like, okay, his role is okay. It's not great, but he looks really good. And I think that matters. Like Jarek McKinnon, I love Jarek McKinnon. Like I've truthered for him my entire life, but let's just be honest, right? Like he's, he's once he's sat games because his legs were dead two years ago. Right. So it's not shocking to imagine a world in which he gets injured um, or in which he starts to lose some level of snaps. You know, he had an unimpressive goal line carry as well. So why can't Clyde get a little bit more carries? What if Jared McKinnon gets hurt and then Clyde, like who's mm-hmm. going to play the long down and distance snaps then not Isaiah Pacheco, probably certainly not Ronald Jones. So I think Clyde has every week RB two value right now. I think it's possible his role grows without an injury. I think it's like really possible that he's like a full blown, almost workhorse. If Jared McKinnon was to get hurt. So I'm probably sure if someone actually wants to buy him based on what he's produced, then I'd sell high. 
but I don't think anyone's doing that. So I'm probably more likely to, to buy or hold CEH. Yeah, he's someone I've been a little more optimistic on just based on how the games have kind of played out. And just like you said, he's just looked the part. So if he's going to continue to look the part in an offense, we know inherently he's going to score a lot of points. Like, I don't really like to give those kind of running backs away because typically my RB2s are guys I'm going on a week-to-week basis with anyway. So I right. want I, I want to have as many of those players with the team attachment and talent attachment that he has. So he's been a guy I've been reluctant to just say like, oh, whoa, whoa, don't dump him. Like, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, so definitely pretty interesting. I love that because it's been a tough run out here for some of these earlier on running backs. But I definitely want to mix in a little bit of dynasty conversation because you're one of my favorite people as, as dynasty takes during the season. I'm someone that I wish I was better. I start. I tend to get redraft brain immediately, like when the season starts, just because I'm in. I'm doing like all these matchup columns. I'm focusing on like all these all immediate player usage. And I tend to get a little bit lost in the sauce and some of my like big dynasty outlook. Um, so that's why I want to have you set me back on the path after these two weeks. Uh, let's do a little bit of like, you know, it would be like a, a ranking shuffle or just have some thoughts on some of these guys that, that the start of the season, because markets move really quickly in dynasty. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the guys like people were kind of, you know, one foot in one foot out on definitely had a truther, and, uh, you know, a, a negative column, you know, to, it wasn't it wasn't to Gabe Davis levels of this offseason, but most people were either buying or selling Amon Ross St. Brown. And he's come out and picked up, you know, kind of as his like Bud Light Cooper like cup role, like Matt Harmon dubbed him as. But now in Dynasty, if we're reshuffling up wide receiver rankings, where should Amon Ross St. Brown be on the spectrum of wide receivers? Yeah, so I had this discussion with uh, Drew last night. We were, or two nights ago, we were debuting our new show. Uh, Drew Ozenchak, for anyone who doesn't know, Bulletproof Bean Counter in, in Dynasty Twitter streets. And we were sort of having this discussion, and we both kind of came to the conclusion that, like, trying to figure out who the Dynasty, well, in my opinion, it's who's the Dynasty wide receiver for. He hates Arthur Juan Brown, so he thinks <laughs> that he should be included within this tier, but I have him as the clear three. But regardless, like we kind of agreed that trying to sort through the ranking of who is that next guy is like almost impossible because there's so many contenders and a lot of it's team dependent on if you want a veteran like Diggs or Cup to score a bunch of points or if you're trying to go for a younger guy like maybe even Drake London gets into that conversation. But I think the more important thing is that I think Amon Ra is in that equation. Like among the year two wide receivers, he's clearly in the waddle zone of like the guys mm-hmm. behind Chase. He has left. Bateman, Elijah Moore, and Smith, at least for now, clearly behind him. Uh, And that's remarkably impressive. You know, I I was very, I think, aggressive in my ranking of Amon Ross St. Brown, clearly, like way behind where I would rank him now. Um, But I was caught in this weird spot with Amon Ra where I was pretty confident in who he was coming off of last year. Like, I'm generally of the mindset that, you know, if the targets are earned, especially if a rookie comes out and commands a lot of targets, I don't care that much about the context in which he did it. Like if a rookie comes out and dominates a million targets, he's probably really good because rookies don't do that. And I'm not going to care too, too much about who was injured, you know, or who wasn't there because that's such an immense accomplishment that like, we're already expecting to get better moving forward anyways. And so I'm not that concerned about other target competition flowing back into the offense. That being said, like you mentioned, there were so many people that were out on him, you know, and he was around four pick, such that I didn't want to get too far over my skis because I just felt like if things started to break against him, you know, whether he's just wasn't as good as I thought, or like if there's some sort of negative externalities that affect him, like he gets injured or Goff gets injured or whatever, and his production gets submarined, 
then like his value atrophy would be immense. And I didn't really want to get caught holding the bag. Of course, in hindsight, I wish that I went like even more all in on Amon Ra and that I had him like on 100% of my teams because he looks like such a smash. But yeah, I, I think that if you want to put him right in the tier with like, or when I do my ranks, like I usually try to do tiers, but I do clusters. So it's like mm-hmm. players within a similar tier of value, but yeah, that have a similar thing. use case. So like yep. Cop and Diggs would be like a different cluster, even though I think they're in a similar value tier. But I think that Amon Ra is like in a cluster with like Higgins, Waddle, Lamb, um, and maybe Pittman um, in terms of like young wide receivers who have a decent shot of producing wide receiver one numbers this year. I don't think he's going to continue quite at the pace that he's on because I, I think that he's, he's going to probably be more of like a Keenan Allen type player than a Cooper Cup type player. Um, you know, maybe Cooper Cup for most of his career was a more of a Keenan Allen type player right. until, until this recent <laughs> invention. So that's where I'm at with Amonroff, but I'm very, very bullish. Like if, if, if you're in a league that's less like online, right, where people aren't like looking at his rookie year PFF grades or they don't care about reception <laughs> perception, whatever else. And someone's just like, yeah, I drafted this guy in my rookie draft two years ago. It seems like he's pretty awesome. Um, but then you can go to them and sell them like a wide receiver that has a lot of name brand equity and get Amon Ra. Like I'd still be trying to do that. certainly in those more casual leagues because you might still be able to, that guy might be like, man, I turned this like random dude into like a real superstar. Like yeah. that might seem appealing to some people. I like that. I like that. One of the guys you mentioned was Michael Pittman in that, in that conversation, you know, Michael Pittman was a guy that got a lot of steam this off season. You've been someone that, and you are a Colts fan too. So this is good. Oh, I want I multiple know. layers, I want multiple layers to this. I like fade all uh, of our, all of our players. Yeah. You know, fan. he was, uh, you know, he, he was, he was a late declare. There was some stuff that kind of, you know, pushed him to be a late declare. There's some usage stuff, uh, you know, was okay rookie. He was, he was fine. You know, obviously he gets steamed up, you know, a lot after last season and everyone's all in. I'm, I'm wanting to push him up where his draft cap was week one. He comes out and he commands all these targets. Um, he's definitely a good, a good football player. Do you believe that he is like a, a fantasy dynasty alpha wide receiver one, or is this a time where we can kind of use this to your advantage to maybe upsell? Yeah. He reminds me a lot of Terry McLaurin, where it's a guy that like is clearly better than I thought he was um, coming out of the draft. So like fully, fully hold the L to that regard, but he's producing sort of like the bare minimum level of alpha target earning on a per row capacity. And it's sort of maximizing what I think people think he is based on him running an extremely high percentage of routes. Like there's, there's even a difference between full-time players where some are running like almost hundred percent of routes and others are running like 85% of routes. And he's, he's at the high end of that and having no target competition to speak of. Right. And I get, I do think that targets are earned. I don't think that target competition matters as much as people think that it matters, but it matters somewhat on the margins. Right. And I think it's like, I think it's adjusting Pittman kind of from like a really, really high end, um, I don't want to say beta, but like, that's usually what I think of in terms of players that are between like 20 to 24% target share into like the bare minimum of alpha. So I think eventually the Colts get someone decent. Maybe Alec Pierce works out. I think probably not. Um, But maybe they get somebody in there at some point who, you know, like what we're seeing with McLaurin right now, where you got a Samuel, you get a Dodson, you get other players with base level competence. I think that Pittman could easily have a back end wide receiver one year this year. But I think for his career, he's going to be more of a high-end wide receiver two, mid-wide receiver two. Um, so I'm probably still selling Pittman. Like I mentioned him in that cluster because that's where he tends to be value. Mm-hmm. But I prefer all those other names. Like I, I would trade him in Dynasty 
uh, for, for Lamb or Higgins. Uh, certainly, I mean, you probably can't do Waddle after this week, but, you no. know, if things cool <laughs> down at some point for him um, and for Amon Ra, I'd better have Amon Ra than Pittman as well. Yeah, yeah. No, and those two guys, I'm looking at current rankings right now that is up that are updated on DLF, and there still is a gap between Pittman and Amon Ra. There's also a gap from Amon Ra to maybe a, a little bit of a poor man's version, maybe, in Christian Kirk. Uh, is this is this happening for Christian Kirk? One is another loss for, loss for Cliff Kingsbury, for sure, if it's happening. Uh, and then, uh, you know, because Kirk was a good prospect. His, his prospect yeah. profile was good. And is he just finally coming together for him? I definitely believe, like you said, we're bucketing players together. That's why I want to curious how close you see him and Amon Ra together. Yeah, I mean, not quite the same because the appeal of Amon Ra is that. So, what I often talk about in with in terms of wide receivers in dynasty is I talk about the rental window, mm-hmm. and so what I what I refer to as the rental window is the period of time in which a wide receiver is producing meaningful production, such that should they continue to produce as they are, you can sell them for basically the same value after absorbing production for the remainder of the rental window, and that's generally from like the time of their first wide receiver one season to about age 26, right? And so what you're in right now at Amon Ra is like, if this is who he is, you're in the rental window, which is where if he keeps producing like this, you'll probably be able to sell him still in two years at a pretty similar value to what he is right now. Now you take on risk in that, you know, he could get injured. He could not be as good. All sorts of things happen. I thought we were in the rental window with DK Metcalf three years ago, and now he's in the bench <laughs> window. But, there, like, but um, you know, that's sort of the general idea is that at least it's possible. With Kirk, unfortunately, you know, he, he's in the purchase window, which is that after this year, you know, he's going to be reaching the age apex in which basically he has to keep producing at the same level to even come close to maintaining value. And eventually his production is going to outweigh his resale value. And so you're going to start purchasing points with Kirk fairly soon. I think you can buy Kirk this year for sure. But I think similar to like a Mike Williams, like we saw Mike Williams have this fifth year breakout last year. And people like were pretty hot and bothered for him in the middle of the season. He had a good year. And then in startups this year, like his dynasty market really lagged his redraft market Mm -hmm. in a way that didn't make a ton of sense considering like he's not young, but he wasn't old either. He he has a contract. He's tied to Herbert for a couple of years. I think that's kind of what we're going to see with Kirk is if he keeps up this season as a fifth year breakout, like a Mike Williams, like, he might be just a guy where the production is worth more than the value. And if you have him, you say, that's awesome. You know, I'm getting cheap production, but at the same time, like I think it's, it has to be team dependent where if you have a contending team and you have Christian Kirk, maybe just hold, but you might be holding for a while. I don't know that it's a guy where you can necessarily be like, I'm going to buy in now. And then the market's going to catch up later. And I'm going to sell for a whole bunch, maybe in some leagues, but I don't think that's going to happen at like the macro level. No, I like that. Uh, you brought up two of the names that I was going to talk about that gamers just like, we know that there's talent here and it hasn't come together, but the talent has always been kind of overpriced in. I don't say overpriced, maybe it's not the, the right way to phrase it, but it's definitely been cooked into the cost for all these players. And we've seen it in redraft a little bit too, but what are we doing with CD Lamb, DK Metcalf and DJ Moore at this stage? I'm buying the shit out of CD Lamb and I've never once bought CD Lamb I think, <laughs> in my entire life. Um, like, and not because he isn't good. I've always thought he was good. I've just always also thought that he was overpriced. Um, but at this point in time, like the deal with CeeDee Lamb for a couple of years was that he was a really good bet to get better than he was, but he was priced like he was already better than he was. And then this year, he's finally earning all the targets and then he's dropping in price drastically. It kind of reminds me of Calvin Ridley early last year 
which obviously went terribly, but I don't expect <laughs> CeeDee Lamb to, to take bet on Cowboys games. I don't expect CeeDee Lamb to take a break from football and then start gambling on football. But like, I remember this happened with Calvin Ridley, where I remember for most of his career, I was like, this guy's kind of overrated. Like his underlying peripherals aren't quite as good as his value indicates. And then he came out and he was a total alpha, but he was just running like ice coal on efficiency. And I remember being like, oh, this is like a great time. We should be buying Calvin Ridley. And I mean, boy, did that go bad. But I do feel similarly about CD, where he is earning a lot of targets. Yes, there's no target competition to speak of. Uh, Michael Gallup's coming back. Whatever to me. Like Noah Brown is getting a bunch of targets. It's not getting in CD's way. Michael Gallup is like very much like a kind of Dave Davisian, Devontae Parkerian type of split end where he's not really a threat to CD Lamb's targets. If anything, he just gives defenses like another competent football player to look at. So this is who CD's gonna be, and he's gonna be earning like well over 25% of the targets. Then by the time Dak comes back like the efficiency should probably write itself and he's probably going to actually be worth close to what he was going for in the off season. So his like price is crumbling. I, I've been trying to sell like Pittman for him. Um, I mean, I think if you could sell high off of this week, I mean, I'd, I'd probably rather have Waddle than him, but if you could sell Waddle for lamb and get like a considerable plus on top, I think that that's probably going to pay off because I think that those guys are probably going to be pretty similar, especially once that comes back. I don't think you're losing a whole lot in that transaction. You know, similarly for sure, if you're, if you're in a team that, you know, isn't quite sure where you're going this year or you're trying to pivot to a rebuild and you could take copper digs and get lamb plus a considerable add on, that's probably a really sharp move. And then you might be able to then resell lamb for close to the same value that you were able to get off of copper digs later. I think there's something to be said that the market was always willing to overrate CD lamb in the sense that the market has a pretty strong and long held prior on his talent. And that then if he shows that talent and he's able to actually convert it into production, with efficiency uh, balancing out and with Dak back eventually, I don't see a reason why the market wouldn't continue to go back to thinking of him very highly, right? So I think that that's sort of a bet where I care a little bit more about the latent valuation in the market than I do about this current downturn, which I don't think actually shows that much about people's priors. It is mostly people panicking to box scores. Would you buy CD Lamb and redraft right now? Depends on your team, right. you know, that's if you're 2-0, oh, yeah. if you're 2-0, <laughs> Yep. If you're own two, probably not. Yeah, I've been telling people that the same thing, you know, especially if I was a wide receiver heavy drafter to open the year, I would be wanting to add him still. Like, because it's just going to give yeah. me more, it's just going to fill my coffers and my war chest even more. I want to go yeah. in and try to pluck one of those guys away. If I had a guy that, you know, has come out of the gates and has been hot, that maybe, you know, or you can upsell like a, a pair, you know, if you could do like Jerry Judy or something for him, right? Like, and flip out of that. I would be totally trying to do that if I could. Um, one last dynasty guy I want to talk to you about and is topical in a sense uh, to actual football that's being played is we saw the unfortunate injury that happened to Trey Lance on Sunday, and he is now not going to play football for the rest of the season, which is a big time downer. So now yeah. we're going to be moving into 2023 with him essentially not playing the first two years of his career and really kind of throwing for sub 500 passes since he played like high school football. So what are we doing with Trey Lance and Dynasty? Let's for just a second, like we'll operate through like a super flex lens or like where a quarterback has like more value than a one quarterback. Yeah. Lane, but like in general, we can just, you, you could share your thoughts, but what do we do in Dynasty now with Trey Lance? So I think the biggest thing I've been saying is just to be active with Trey Lance, like this kind of is similar to how I felt about like the Cam Akers post-injury, Dobbins, ETN, like whenever there's a, especially a young player where people 
have pretty wide ranging priors on a lot of uncertainty on, and then like a massive negative externality impacts their value. I just want to be active in discussions. So like in my leagues where I've had Lance, like, you know, and I have leagues in wildly different positions with Lance, right? There's somewhere it's like, I only have like one league where it's like, I only have Kyler and Lance as my quarterbacks. And so like when Lance goes out and super flex, of course, like when Lance goes out, that's like a massive ding to that team. Right. There's others where I have like one where I have Brady and it's like, okay, good. Like I just kind of insert Brady for the year. And and then like, I'll hopefully have Lance back next year. We can figure it out. Um, I think that, and I've, I've been pretty transparent. I've been like, Hey guys, if anybody would like to come after Trey Lance, he's available. We can talk about it. You know, if you're not particularly interested, I'm open to a stopgap quarterback. I'm also in, I'm also open-minded to selling off my vets. You know, if people want to give me better value that way and kind of just letting the value of the league determine where I go, where, you know, if, if it ends up being the better long-term value play to just decide this isn't the year, that's, that's, I think, okay to me. Um, but if I can find stopgaps to compete, I'm open to that. And I'm open to selling Lance as well. I think, I think that there's like a general aversion where people like kind of go into a year with a plan and they want to stay on that plan in dynasty 11 out of your 12 dynasty managers are going to lose your dynasty league. You know, yep. some of you find out in week 17, some of you find out in week two, right? Sometimes if you had Trey Lance, you found out earlier than you expected. Um, and maybe it's better for the long-term health of your dynasty team to make a bunch of plus value cash outs on all your vets, restock assets, be ready to roll for next year. Um, you know, with Lance, will be back under center. I think, at a more like specific player take level with Lance, uh, I'm probably more inclined to buy than sell. Part of that's just like I'm always just generally wanting to buy injured players because they're usually going to rise in value and give you an opportunity to decide again later whether you'd prefer to, to hold or sell. Um, I think that there's a lot of risk, you know, with Lance now. I, I thought personally, we'll never know. I thought that the fears of Jimmy Garoppolo playing this season were mostly baseless. Um, yes, you know, I, I thought that it was like, okay, nobody wants to trade them anything for Jimmy. So they're now, now their choices are, you know, they get to have a $20 million pay cut, keep a good backup on the roster in case Lance gets injured, which he just did, uh, you know, and then probably get a third round compensatory pick or cut him for literally nothing and have Nate Sudfeld as their backup. So it's like, would you rather have a good backup and a third round pick or nothing? Like I'd rather have the good backup and a third yes. round pick. I don't think that said anything about Trey Lance. Uh, Next year is kind of what I thought would be the the key make or break year if he struggled this year, because that's when his fifth year option is going to have to be decided upon at the end of his third year. Now he has to do that, potentially not being able to run as much, which is like not just a concern for his fantasy value, but I think a concern for his real life value. Like part of why I've always been so in on Lance in this offense is I get the data sample is pretty small, but just from like a real football, put our hand in the dirt perspective, like, this Shanahan offense stretches you out so much horizontally, and then it gets a lot of targets funneled to the middle of the field on these crossers, these digs, these drag routes and slants. And when you think about a rushing quarterback in that, what's it going to do? The linebacker has to play up. You freeze the linebacker to play up, spying for the rushing quarterback. You throw it over the top to Debo, Ayuk, or George Kittle. And if Lance can just use his natural arm strength to be able to thread the needle on these over-the-middle throws, make layered throws, he made a beautiful one in week one to Ray Ray McLeod, you're going to have opportunities to do that because of his ability to freeze linebackers in the run game. And then if the linebackers play back, then he's just going to run all the time. And that's going to be great for the 49ers and for fantasy as well. If he doesn't have that element, I think he's going to struggle a little bit more next year. All that being said, if it's like late first, 
You know, if I can send out a late first for Trey Lance or equivalent value, such that I'm basically deciding between like a wide receiver two type value or a potential rushing quarterback in Superflex, like that's just an easy choice. You know, it's like, can I can I live without this asset? Probably. Think about it, right? How many times do you totally whiff on you know a, a wide receiver two? Either either you thought you had one and you don't, they just suck that year, or you try to draft somebody and you totally screw the draft pick. Like your dynasty team can survive that, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, and you will survive that. If Lance is nothing, you will survive that. You're also probably still going to have games, even if he's bad, where he's pretty good. And I think sharp dynasty managers should kind of trust themselves to feel out the market and try to sell 80 cents on the dollar. If they think it's going that way, right? You don't necessarily always have to ride things to zero. You just need somebody to be worth more than they are currently at a specific moment in time. They don't have to hold that value. So I'm more inclined to buy Lance, but I'm not going to act like the concern for him isn't well-founded anymore. It definitely is. No, I think that was very, very well stated. And, you know, I mean, he's the type of player that like I want to to vet on anyways, you know, inherently it's my structure play, Uh, especially, you know, when you said, you know, you, you're talking about guys like Christian Watson you know, in, in the context of this most recent year, you know, Sky Moore, like you can live without those, like if, you know, and that's no knocking that those players get there for sure. Uh, let's bring this thing home though. Let's there, there is week three football. Uh, there, there's a DFS slate here. And I think it's the most interesting DFS slate because one week one, the pricing has been out for six weeks. Stuff gets manipulated. Last week was a really weird week too, where a lot of the good teams were off the main slate. Uh, and now we kind of feels like this is like our first real main slate of the season in a sense, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what plays out. There's like not a lot of free value out here. It's Thursday afternoon. Like a lot of things can still happen, you know, from here yeah. to Sunday that opens up. It does every week. But th- this feels like it's going to be like a real like fun week where like people actually have to play DFS this week. Uh, the first thing on the docket is the bills are on the main slate for the first time ever. Uh, the bills are pretty clear. Like we know it's like Josh Allen digs. And then if you want to mix in Gabe Davis, how confident are you that the dolphins can have a repeat run out of their second half last week and make this thing like a potential like hootenanny? Well, you talked about this on the last show we just did the launch pad. I think a lot of it depends on what the bills secondary looks like. Right. I mean, a lot of the bills ethos is that they're not going to bring that much pressure um, or they're not, sorry. They will bring pressure. They're not going to bring that much, many blitzes. They're not going right. to assign additional resources to get pressure. They're often able to get pressure with just four. And then if they're not, you know, they have enough horses in the back end to make up for it. I think that it, this puts additional pressure on that front four to be able to create that if they are going to be missing guys. Or like we saw with Baltimore, they had a bunch of injured guys. Most of those guys played, but, you know, they didn't practice. They didn't play well. They didn't, whatever you want to say, but it, clearly their secondary was not performing adequately. And, you know, maybe the injuries and the mispractice time contributed to that. Maybe that would happen with, with the Buffalo Bills as well. Um, I think that it's entirely possible they have a good fantasy week, you know, even if they aren't crushing the same way they were last time, where you're going to see two teams that are going to pass at a high rate over expectation. We expect based on the, the limited sample we have from the Dolphins and just like now two plus years long sample from the Buffalo Bills. Um, and if that's going to happen, then, you know, we're going to see a good outcome. I think what's important in DFS too, is you want teams that will lose competitively, right? I don't know if yeah. the Dolphins will lose. I think they, they're very alive to win this game, 
But what we know about both of these teams is that if one of them falls well behind, they will now be competitive. We just saw with the Dolphins last week. That's what's been so fun about the Jets the first two weeks. It's like they were falling behind, but they remained competitive, right? We saw it actually pay off week two, week one, it didn't. But they weren't like bearsing it up, right? They were just like, we're going to play fast. We're going to chuck it. We're going to really try and get back into this game. Um, And I think that's what to expect this week. So even if it doesn't pay off immediately, you could see it pay off down the road in garbage time. And there's a lot of avenues. Um, I think that the harder part about this, like what I loved last week was that not that many people were playing that game. And it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, not that many people are playing Miami Baltimore. And you have these two super consolidated passing games. And so I don't even have to guess who I want to play. It's just like, well, you're going to play the quarterbacks. You're going to play Waddle, Tyreek, Bateman, Andrews. Chuck in the combinations and play the game. And if the game hits, you win because nobody's all that highly owned. Tyreek was like a little bit, but like Waddle and Bateman had like no ownership on them. This week, it might be harder if more people are onto this game where like at that point, it's like you almost would rather it not be as consolidated, right? Because it's really hard to play the Dolphins in any way that isn't Hill and Waddle. Um, And with the Bills, it's like they're so unconsolidated behind Diggs that it's almost hard to play. Like you can't play McKenzie and crowd like Mm -hmm. on showdown. It's fun, but on a full slate, like it's really hard to play the tertiary bills. So I think the challenge becomes like what, how you play these teams. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think that, well, just from the Miami stance, what happened last week, you know, for the bank going forward, we talked about in the last show was just in general, just like seeing like proof of concept. Like that we thought we knew that like the Garoppolo, like Shanahan stuff existed in this offense, it's like a range of outcomes, like Tua could manage that, but could they just be have like a, an actual drop back passing game when they had to and just be able to see that? Now, will we ever have that type where we need six passing touchdowns again? Probably not. But the fact that they did have an actual just drop back passing game when they had to, I thought was the biggest like proof of concept we, we had from last week, whether it was aided by what happened to you in the Baltimore back end the, and everything else. I just think that you're, there's going to be scenarios here now where we're going to have runouts that where both of these guys have huge games, Tyreek and Waddle. And that was something that, you know, I think that people were scared of coming into the season, right? They definitely were scared of it with Waddle's ADP. Uh, But I think that there's definitely going to be games now that we can count on both of these guys being able to get there and not just like where one guy gets there on four targets, like week one, like where Waddle gets there on the 50 yard catch. There's actually many games where both these guys push double digit targets for sure. I think I'm almost going to have to play it through the two side if I play this game. We're going to get into this yeah. maybe when we talk about some of the running backs, but like I'm I'm very not on board with how the slate or with how the market seems like they're going to play running back this week, which like my under I mean it's so early, so I don't know how ownership's going to evolve for sure. It's only Thursday. But like what I'm currently expecting that we'll see a lot of is a lot of people trying to force in um Allen and then maybe others Herbert and they're going to want to play sort of higher price quarterbacks. And then they're looking at this like Pierce and Montgomery and Jacobs. And yep. it's just like, no, I'm not, I'm opting out. Like I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not like, I'm not doing that. Right. It's like, so I, I'm just looking at like Taylor. I'm looking at McCaffrey and I'm looking at honestly, Derek Henry. Um, and I just think that that's like such a more appetizing build where if we can play these higher end running backs that we know have massive ceilings where, you almost have like two outs when you're like, if you're playing a Jonathan Taylor or you're playing Christian McCaffrey and you're able to get them at moderate or low ownership, um, especially Taylor, like I probably, he might be my like flag plant this week um, where like, if you're playing him at lower ownership, you have two outs, right? Either the chalk guys can fail or like David Montgomery can hit, right. But he can hit in a very David Montgomery way, which is that he gets like 22 points 
But then if Taylor has 45, you don't have to care, right? Like you right. just like massively outpace him. So you're getting access to ceilings that those guys just don't have. And then you have to find ways to flip the build around, right? And so um, probably the two guys that I'm really eyeing up uh, this week, like I'm, I'm going to play some Tua probably. And then the, the one guy that I think is going to be my big stand is I'm probably going to play a lot of Trevor Lawrence. Oh, interesting. That's that's interesting. Do you have a reason for trying? Do you have, do you have something to support that, or just like? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I just I I like this game environment, right? The Chargers' okay. offense is going to be very appealing. I love what I've seen out of Trevor Lawrence so far the first two weeks. Uh, I mean, his in terms of where I, I don't have all the stats in front of me, but I went and saw like the big chart that was like his EPA, his CPOE. Everybody like kind of went down, down, down the stats. Vastly improved from last year. We just talked about Christian Kirk. He's been crushing it. Um, and then you have Evan Ingram, who's been really involved on uh, the passing game there as well. I also think that this is a week where Travis Etienne might get much more involved in the passing game mm-hmm. if they're going in trail script. And then a lot of it is just like trying to find paths of games that I think can shoot out. And I think that with the way that the Jaguars have approached things, like they went pretty run heavy last week against the Colts, but it was a game that they dominated. I mean, they went really pass heavy uh, against the Washington Commanders in a game that they were in neutral or behind script um, for, for much of that. I think it's entirely possible where if they fall behind, they're going to play competitively. Doug Peterson throughout his coaching history is not a player who's just going to, you know, pound the ball when he falls behind. He's usually a player that's quite willing to pass the ball from behind. And so I think that has some sneaky shootout potential and it allows you playing Lawrence um, and plus some of his cheaper options. Like he has guys that are very cheap that run like every route, like Zay Jones and, uh, and Engram and such that are pretty affordable. It allows you to play the higher price running back. So I think it makes structural sense and I think it could pay off. Yeah, I like that. So one of the things I've talked about in a couple of DFS shows I've been on earlier this week is, you know, basically the same layout that you led to is it really feels like the early season, you know, meta has been to jam in these wide receivers and because those are the guys we talked about, how many point games that they've produced. Uh, and it feels like they're going to be that that's going to be the approach for the builds this week because that's been what's getting everyone there. And, you know, we tend to chase the eater on tail a little bit. Uh, and the only way to play those guys is to play the Montgomery's, the Jacobs and the Hertz. I actually had ETN circled as a pivot in that same price range. So I was curious to, to add Lawrence on there. But ETN was a guy I was looking at as a similar price point pivot to those guys. I kind of think and, you can play them together. Oh, uh, who? Lawrence and ETN. Oh, Lawrence, anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just never got to the Lawrence side of it. That's why I was curious to get there. Like, I was on the ETN side. Like, I was, he was like a guy that. I penciled in. Um, but I was talking about, you know, the show is like, is this a week where we go back? Like, we we save money maybe on quarterback and pay for running backs. And, you know, I don't I didn't want it to just be like a pure contrarian take, but I was wondering if just the slate was just was more optimal for the slate because – David Montgomery is trending towards to be the most highest owned running backs in terms of DraftKings. He's 5,900. It's definitely underpriced for his role. Yeah, but talk about like when something like this happens is, 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 is it not, not to make this a David Montgomery take, make this like a, when this happens on a slate where people want to jam in wide receivers and play this cheap running back, uh, how to properly to, to combat that? Like when it's the high roster shift. Yeah. Well, I think this is one of those, I was talking earlier about how like, how playing dynasty can help you in, in DFS. Like that's, I feel pretty strongly. This is a week where it does like I, any week where all the highest owned players are like not very good players. That's kind of concerning yeah. <laughs> to me, right? It's like the top owned running backs are like Montgomery, Jacobs and Pierce, like not exactly explosive, inspiring players. The top owned tight ends, like what are we going to get? Like Irv Smith and Tyler Higby, right? Is that what we're, we're doing this week? So it's just like, if yeah. we're like, and, and think about games, like we're going to see Montgomery Pierce and Brandon cooks all super owned in a game between two horrific teams that has like a 40 point total. Like I, I just don't want to be participating in that. Right. Right. Like that doesn't seem, <laughs> that doesn't seem appealing to me. Um, 
So I don't, so I think this is one of those ones where it's like, I think we're almost getting a little bit too caught up in the projection. Like I think those guys can hit for sure. You know, they can hit value. They probably will have value. Like if I'm playing, I don't really play much cash, but if I, if I were mm-hmm. like, I think Dave Montgomery is totally reasonable to play in cash, but it's just, there, there's always going to be paths to systemic failure when you're talking about two games between two horrific teams, right? Kind of like what we saw last week with like the Giants and the Panthers where, yeah. you know, it's just like the game just sucked. So nobody's getting there, right? <laughs> like, right. Like now, now if, if Montgomery has the exact same game that McCaffrey had last week, he's like a hit at price. But I guess it's just when we're leaving guys with way higher ceilings that don't have the ownership, like it's not just the projection for the dollar, like the raw point still matters. And I think that if, if Montgomery gets 20 or Jacobs gets 20 or Pierce gets 20, it's like, well, if one of these lower owned high price running backs gets 40, then that construction has the advantage. And then the only thing that then you have to do is you have to think like, okay, well, how am I going to spend for these guys? Somebody else has to hit somewhere. And that's where I'm trying to think about some of these quarterbacks. Like, is it Mariota? Is it Lawrence? Like I'm probably going to have to spend down at some of these quarterback spots. They have to get a little bit gross, a little bit off the board, but that's just sort of how I'm viewing this slate where I think it's one thing to pivot. You know, you can pivot to Michael Carter, you can pivot to Travis Etienne, but just in general, like, you know, if you think about it as like a traffic stop, it's like it's a bunch of cars taking the fast route on Google maps. But like, if you're just able to take the different route, you know, it's like maybe you're traveling more kilometers, but if all the cars are on one road and you're just moving along, like you're able to get there um, a lot more efficiently. So I'm probably rather just flip the build entirely because I think that the way that the build is, is going leaves like a lot of, inexplosive players in bad games in people's lineups. And like, I mean, the, the games where I get, a, the sleep where I get scared to fade the chalk is when there's elite players in elite yes. games. And I'm like, how am I going to fade this game? Right. And I know that the math says you probably should anyways, because it's like, okay, well there's always paths to failure, but whenever the chalk build results in non-elite players in 40 point total games, then it's like I don't even need the chalk to fail, right? I just I just need I just need my place to hit. I don't even have to worry that much about the the, the chalk if I if my players go off, right? Yeah, that, that's what I've I've been really looking at uh, trying to find a way to make a Jonathan Taylor Dalvin Cook team work uh, in terms mm. of salary. But again, we have such few cheap options here. Do you? I you probably haven't dug into like pricing stuff, but uh, is there anyone that is I that maybe a wide receiver three or waiting on this buck situation? Is there any cheap guy that you're kind of looking at right now that stands out? Uh, at the wide receiver position, you said. Any, just in general, like who do you ha- who is like a salary saving guy that isn't in that Bears game? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> that's that's part of what kind of led me to the Lawrence thing. I think Zay Jones at four K is right. like a pretty decent um, value bet. Uh, so that's that's one guy that I think definitely stuck out to me. In terms of other guys, like, I mean, we're gonna see what happens with the Bucks and the Packers, right? I think that's what people injuries. are gonna do right, and play so, with the Bucks. So there, there's going to be like some like gross, like vacated target buck or vacated target packer. And then I'll probably just try to play the one that people aren't playing. Like I was like, I played like a pretty egregious amount of Rashad Perriman uh, this past week. Cause I was just like, I don't know. I was like, I, I was just like, am I going to participate in, in Greg Dortch at like 25? I was like, I can't do this. And then of course he got the touchdown him and Henderson both get these like gross touchdowns. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Like, I mean, like last week, I don't know. Um, I mean, even Doolin wasn't like exceedingly owned. I was playing some Doolin. And then a lot of what I was doing last week was like, okay, well, if people are going to go to Doolin or people are going to go to these other 3K pass catchers uh, like Dorch or Richie James or whatever. It's like, well, you know, instead of playing Doolin to try and get off of those guys, because he's on his own ownership, I'll just play Granson. I mean, Granson didn't do anything. But then the nice thing is like when you're playing a $2,600 tight end, it's like, 
they don't even have to do anything. You're kind of just hoping no tight end does anything, and then you're just making up points in the rest of your lineup. So I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't dug too much into the value guys, mostly because to be entirely honest, like whatever it's cheap true. guys are the best value are usually just guys I'm not going to play because right. like I don't want to play bad players at ownership, right? So it's sort of more like I'll just play whoever looks like they're going to run routes that isn't going to be owned. I mean, here's one like. McCall Hardman, 46, like he was clearly the best Chiefs pass catcher on Thursday night. Like, I feel like he probably earned himself some more snaps. No one's going to play him. He might be kind of interesting. I, I don't know. I'm Especially if I'm playing Taylor and I want to run it back somehow. Yeah, I mean, you are, uh, you know, a, a Colts fan. So the, the two games I've been eyeing up that are kind of, I think, are getting overlooked. The number one game that stands out to me is, is Chiefs-Colts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously everyone's really expensive in that game. You go Kelsey, Jonathan Taylor, but like the ownership is super depressed in that game. It could be a good game. I'm willing to throw a lot of what the Colts did in week two out just based on what happened throughout the week. Um, right. And uh, that's a game I want to get access to. Uh, Alec Pierce going to run a lot of routes. He's fast. He's bad, but he's cheap and he's going to run a lot of routes. And he's <laughs> probably going to run them downfield. Yeah, I mean, you have to find unique ways, but I love that game. It's like a a small slate onslaught game. Absolutely. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, The one other team that's not really getting any buzz, and it's been terrible run out here, but I just want to get your quick take on it here before we get out here uh, because they're also trending to not be popular. Uh, And it's the Cincinnati Bengals, guys. Uh, You know, all drafted highly. Uh, It hasn't been good to start the year. You lose to Mitch Trubisky. You lose to Cooper Rush. Uh, they're a team that is is getting the treatment, the old Chiefs treatment. Uh, you know, forty two percent of pass plays run against cover two. Jamar Chase's a dot is in the toilet right now. Uh, is this the week it, it kind of bounces back? Do we see a change here? Uh, how, how are you feeling about the Bengals? I, not in a redraft sense. I think everyone's still going to hold water here. But like, how are you feeling about um, this particular game here, the Jets? T Higgins, first of all, he's like the Josh Jacobs of wide receivers and like in pricing where it's like, has T Higgins ever not been 6,100 and 10% projected ownership? Like every week, every single week, he's like 6K, 10% projected ownership. That's just like where he resides um, in every single projection. Yeah, I I like it. I mean, it's it's a nice spot because it's an easy one to play that won't be super popular, right? You just go Chase, Higgins uh burrow right or you could play hayden hurst you know if you really want to do that you can play uh you can play mixon i just, i don't really like playing joe mixon to be entirely maybe that's like a, that's like a player bias thing for me to be like totally honest where like he's I always expensive always, though too i just always break ties against joe mixon like every time that i'm like oh i could play Mixon, and then i'm like no i could spend 300 dollars more and get like a an actually good player <laughs> like that's sort of how i always feel about mixon um but i i like i mean the jets have interesting bring back options too right mm-hmm. and they have and they play, like I said, they play competitively when they fall behind. So that's definitely, it's the kind of stack that I really love to play in small fields where it's like, you don't have to put a lot of thought into who to play because they have clear guys that you're going to play. If you're going to play the game, not that many people are going to get to it in smaller fields because there's so many other options ahead of you. You have clear bringbacks, And then it's like, if you just get the game right, you know, then you can, you can, you can change a lot. And I, I believe I could be, that's a, that's a, that's a noon game, right? It's an early game. It's an early kick. Yeah. So that's a fun one where like if you kind of just put that in yep. and you put that game in with a lot of late guys and then if the game hits, then you can kind of just pivot onto the chalk for the late guys and, and count your money, right? Yeah, that's why I love that game and the Chiefs game particularly because if those stacks fail, then whatever, you're dead. But if they yeah, hit, then you've got all kinds of you've got all kinds of leverage heading into the afternoon. Uh, I'll let you out of here. One last one. Uh, it appears trending towards it. You know, the the places where I pull projected ownership from, and I use multiple ones in the aggregate, and all of them. It appears that early this stage of the week, the public has finally had enough of chasing Kyle Pitts, but. 
4,800. We got it, right? Oh, yeah. Lock button. <laughs> Punch it in. All right, Jacob, man. Listen, it's an absolute treasure to have you on always uh, early in the season. Let the people know where they can find you, where they can hear more of your musings, find more of your fantasy work, all the locations that get you free run out. This is my Sean Evans. This camera, that camera, this camera. Where do you want to do? Throw it out there. <laughs> Yeah, you can find me, honestly, in a lot of places <laughs> right now. Spread yourself a little thin, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, F underscore RTDB. Um, if you want, like, unbridled personal access, I have a channel in uh, Drew's Discord, the Bulletproof Dynasty Discord. Um, I also operate a, like, sub-channel on DFS and Best Ball within my main analyst channel. So if you're into that stuff, um, we can do a lot of that stuff in there as well. Um You'll find podcasting I do every Tuesday with Chase and, uh, or every Wednesday, sorry, with Chase and Chain Fantasy Intervention every Tuesday uh, with Tom and Billy, the Full Tilt uh, Dynasty podcast. Although really more of just a seasonal managed show when we're in when we're in season, we're no really really no more Dynasty than redraft. We have a pretty explicitly Dynasty podcast now with Drew that I'm doing called Sweat and Bullets. So we just debuted the first episode; it dropped today, so that's really exciting. And then um, I'll be talking DFS again tomorrow. Uh, with Chase Vernon uh, for the Big Tilt on the Roto Underworld uh, Radio Network. I love it. I got to hang out with Chase a little bit in Canton. Great dude. Uh, we'll have to get you. Uh, we'll have to hook up in person sometime here soon. Absolutely. Uh, always, always a pleasure to have you on, though. As always, you can find me at Lord Reeves on Twitter. As always, every week here on the Sharp Angles Podcast. I hope everyone has a great week three.